The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Main Street Vegan Show. Oh, gosh, I'm so excited that I have the guests I have today. You know, sometimes the universe just provides for you exactly what you need. My first guest that I'm going to be introducing in just a couple of minutes is both a wonderful cookbook author and a meditation teacher. And I'm just going to feel her peace and calm kind of coming through the earphones before she even comes on the air. We just finished a Main Street Vegan Academy class. It was fabulous, wonderful, and amazing. Every single student was just stunning. I'm so amazed at at the people who are out there being vegan and doing this work and carrying this message. Uh, We had an attorney from Panama City, Panama. We had a young man from um, the UK, from Devon, who's going to be opening a vegan shop with his partner. We had an 18-year-old NYU student from Saudi Arabia who is thinking seriously about when she finishes school, going back to Saudi Arabia and starting PETA Saudi. I mean, is this remarkable or what? So it was absolutely wonderful. Somebody did leave his phone charger and all these little life um, things that go on. So I'm going to have to take care of the phone charger. But you know, the little picture should never get in the way of the big picture. And the big picture is absolutely glorious. So let's see what's going on today. Anybody listening live on October 7th, 2015, this is National Kale Day. Now, I'll bet some of you listening say every day is National Kale Day. But it is pretty cool. I never ate kale until I was 40 years old. That's the truth. I had been vegan for seven years, and I'd been vegetarian for, what, nine, what a long time, 19 to 30. You do the math. Long time. And amazingly, I had never had kale until I tasted it in an Ethiopian restaurant. And now, of course, we know it is the great leader of the green food group, and we're all munching our kale, so enjoy that. Coming up, VegFest UK, that is this very weekend, of the 9th and 10th, whatever Saturday is, I should be looking at a calendar, Saturday and Sunday, Sunday in London, I will be there, if you're there, come and find me, say hey, I'm speaking both days at 3 in the afternoon, also, we have coming up, 
next week. I believe it is October 10th. I really need to be looking at the calendar. October 12th is what they told me. That is National Coming Out Day. And the wonderful women of our hen house have produced a really fine video about coming out for people who are GLBT and for people who are vegan. And the people in the film are actually both. And they contrast what it was like to come out as gay and what it was like to come out as vegan. It is a wonderful, wonderful video. So check that out on OurHenHouse.com. And they are doing a thunderclap campaign because they want everybody on October 12th to share that video. So if you get a chance to do that, they would be most grateful. Jasmine and Marianne of our hen house just taught for Main Street Vegan Academy. And so their wonderful energy is, is still hanging out here. Um, Gene Bauer of Farm Sanctuary, he's been a guest on the show, is going to be speaking at Unity Center of New York. And they asked if I would give a shout-out for Jean. That is going to be this Sunday. Now, this is Unity Center of New York, as opposed to Unity Church of New York, where I will actually be speaking on October 18th. So check all this out to hear Jean, see Jean of this coming Sunday. Go to unitynewyork.org. He's going to be part of the Sunday service, and he will be doing a 1.30 afternoon workshop. And then um, if you want to hear me on the 18th, Unity Church of New York, 11 a.m. at Symphony Space there at 93rd and Broadway. And in the afternoon, I'm doing a workshop called the Fillmore Diner, Going Veg with Myrtle and Chuck. Charles and Myrtle Fillmore were the founders of Unity, very vegetarian, and very happy to be doing that for the Unity Church of New York City on October 18th, which is also my wedding anniversary. Now you know everything about me. But I do have one final bit of extremely exciting news, which is not about me, but it's about this show. So I feel that it's about all of us. It's about Unity Online Radio, our wonderful engineer, Jeff Comfort, everybody who makes this happen, Danielle Legg, who does the producing here at my end, And that is that the Main Street Vegan podcast that you're listening to right this minute just won a Vegan Media Outlet 2015 award from vegansarecool.com. They're an Australian group, and they do lots of awards every year. And I'm so excited that the Main Street Vegan show is a um, media Vegan Media Outlet 2015 winner. So thank you all so much. So very much for being a part of that. Everybody who's ever been a guest, everybody who's ever called in, everybody who gives us a review on iTunes or five stars or something lovely. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We are working with you to get this message out. After the break, I will be bringing on Becky Robinson, who is a longtime friend of mine. It's cool when you go way back with people. But more importantly, she is the founder and director of Alley Cat Allies, the first and largest spay, neuter, and release organization looking out for the feral kitties. She's also a vegan. Kind of unusual in the companion animal protection world. So we're going to be finding out all about what's going on with the kitties and that whole part of things. But before we do that in this section of the show, it is my true pleasure to be introducing you to someone wonderful with whom I'll be speaking for the first time. And that is Pramoda Chitrabanhu. She was called by the New York Times one of the leading exponents of Gujarati cooking. She's the author of Foods of Earth, Tastes of Heaven, and her new book, Rainbow Foods for the Vegan Palate. Pramoda is a lifelong Jain, the Jain religion of India, which has vegetarianism as a very, very powerful primary tenet based on ahimsa, a reverence for life. She grew up in India, immersed in the philosophy of Ahimsa, and after graduating from Mumbai University with a psychology degree, she expanded her interest to bring the philosophy of Ahimsa into everyday practice around the world. 
Her life is dedicated to animal welfare, vegetarianism, and veganism. Her partner in life is the highly regarded Jain teacher, Guru Dev Sri Chitrabhanhu, and Pramoda herself is director of the Jain Meditation International Center in New York, as well as president of the Jain International Meditation Center in Mumbai, and she's also a director of PETA India. Please welcome Pramoda Chitrabhanu. Hi, Pramoda. Hi, Victoria. So lovely How? to hear you. Yes, same here. Well, I'm I know. so happy to be on your show. Well, I'm so happy to have you on the show, but also to know that you're on the earth. And I know people from the Jane Center here in New York, people who, who believe that uh, Swamiji and, and yourself are, are just really the pivotal points of, of their spiritual lives. And it's such an honor to be speaking with you. So tell thank us you a, so much. <laughs> thank you. Tell us a little bit about Jainism in general and Ahimsa. Uh, okay. Uh, the, the central theme of uh, Jain religion are the three pillars, and they are, and we call them three A's: uh, Ahimsa, Anekantvada, and Aparigraha. Ahimsa means non-violence, Anekantvada means non-absolutism, and Aparigra means non-possession. Non-violence strengthens the right of life of every living being. Non-absolutism strengthens the right of thoughts of every individual. And non-possession strengthens the interdependence of all existence. These principles are the only way to global peace, according to me. And these are my inspiration, and these are my goals. And this is what I choose to live in this life as a human being. And these, this is what Jain religion is represented by. That is so beautiful. Now, tell us about the Jain philosophy of food. Uh, Jain philosophy of food goes way, way back, uh, Victoria, and the basic principle of nonviolence is not just hurting any living being through killing them, but through your thoughts, through your words, and through your action. So Jains usually are so careful that they don't want to hurt any living being even when they are walking on the road. So they have to be full of awareness and vigilance so they don't hurt any life. When they speak, as you may, some people have noticed that there is one part of Jain um, religion that believes in putting a mask around their mouth so they even don't hurt the microbeans. And they are so careful in their eating habits that they try to eschew all the root vegetables. So most Orthodox Jains, they don't eat root vegetables because they feel that you are uprooting the whole root when you want to eat the vegetable. And when you're uprooting the roots from the ground, so many tiny bacteria, insects, they depend on that or they are surrounded by that, are hurt and killed during that process. So it is, they are so careful about not hurting life per se, that they want to even try to not take those food in their, in their eating or in their lunches or dinners or breakfast. So this is what their philosophy is, that minimize violence in your food. Mm-hmm. And what about, I believe, onions and garlic are not allowed? Why is that? Onions, garlic, and even potato, carrots, all root vegetables. But onions and garlic especially because they are passion-creating food. And when you are a meditator, when you want to evolve in your spiritual journey, you try to give up these food, spicy food, onion, garlic. They try to really 
color your thoughts and create more passion in your um, uh, in your life and then in your thinking so we want to just even uh, not eat those vegetables also i see and so many people would say oh gosh well that sounds bland and then we open your new book rainbow food for the vegan palate and look at these amazing recipes and nobody would think that there is anything bland here i'm looking at at stuffed bell peppers sweet corn soup with vegetables fenugreek with lentils wonderful wonderful flavorful and indian inspired dishes that fit all ahimsa and jain dietary principles so tell us about the book Oh uh, well the book uh, uh, the re- reason why i wrote this book was that i thought that i really really have strong i have a strong feeling that i we i have to do something for these voiceless innocent animals and one of the ways would be through the writing a cookbook and educating people and especially jains because it is very hard for them to give up dairy products because we are brought up and conditioned to cook everything with the dairy and ghee and uh, uh, yogurt so i thought i should really write a cookbook where i can give them an alternative so this cookbook was specially uh, written for that purpose and even my american students who are so many around the world they also were always requesting that i should write a cookbook so this cookbook has everything from a to z if anyone wants to become a vegan i have tried to put everything for someone who has a question what do i eat where do i find certain kind of uh, uh, milk or yogurt how do i make yogurt and these are the questions that people especially when i am out lecturing or being with people especially jains they do are very curious about it so they ask me questions and i thought let me just write a cookbook instead of answering each individual and the other reason for writing this cookbook is that i want people to know that it is not difficult to become a vegan and it's not difficult to cook anything without onions potatoes and garlic because i tell you i have been eating that for all my life and i've never found anything so delicious so tasteful even without onion and garlic and potato so well, I, i want people to know that it is very easy very digestible and very safe for health Well I'm looking at the Indian spiced chickpeas and mm-hmm. they have cinnamon, clove, ginger, optional chili pepper, coriander powder, tomato sauce and chana masala and coriander leaves. So we're not saying no flavor. <laughs> and it it yeah. just looks fabulous. In fact that might be my dinner tonight Pramoda. Everybody okay. the, the um I'm going to give you the link for the book a couple of times to get it you need to go to lighthousecenterinc.org so that's lighthousecenter c e n t e r spelled the american way i n c .org and that's where you can order rainbow food for the vegan palate And some of the people who have read it before you and absolutely loved it include Neil Barnard, MD, Dr. Will Tuttle that everybody loves. So, Pramoda, tell us about how you see ahimsa and veganism in the world today. Sometimes the growth takes my breath away and sometimes thinking about how far we have to go makes me really sad. Well, you know, I like something what Dr. Roger Fouts calls it. I see that life is a great symphony in which each of us is assigned a different instrument. If we see all living beings with this perspective, we will be careful not to hurt life. And if one instrument breaks, the whole symphony of life is disrupted. So I feel that ahimsa and veganism are not separate because when one is vegan many times the world people say that 
uh, oh, I think it is so difficult to be a vegan. But we have to imagine how difficult it is for the animals when we are not vegan. So ahimsa and veganism, I don't see them absolute that they are separate. They are, they are just interconnected. And when one becomes vegan, we become vegan in our lifestyle, in our uh, thinking, in our speech, in our action, in our dress up, in whatever uh, products we use. So in that way, we are promoting the philosophy and the principle of Ahinsa. That is so, so lovely. <laughs> Go ahead. Yes. Yeah, so uh, it is sometimes, you know, Victoria, I feel that we have not yet intuned ourselves with the, uh, uh, the creation. It is important to know that each of us is a vital thread in another's life tapestry. And our lives are woven together for a reason. The reason being to survive and to live in peace and help others live in peace and harmony. But we don't see that, you know. We just see ourselves as an individual, but we are interconnected. We are dependent on each other. We are... We live with mutual support and interdependence. So all life is bound together. And if we are bound together, anything that we do has a domino effect as well as it creates a ripple which reaches the other part of the river. So whatever we throw in, in the lake, it creates a ripple and that ripple bounds together in multiple forms and then it reaches the other shore. So we have to be so careful in our life not to really hurt life and let life be and let them enjoy peace and harmony and let them live those lives that have no voice, those lives that cannot express, those lives that are suffering. And if we can't do anything for them, I feel as human beings, we have lost this chance of helping other living beings. Pramoda, I understand why people sit at your feet and want to listen to you all day, because I certainly feel like joining them. The wisdom and the grace that you bring to this conversation is, is so needed and so, so lovely. The book, again, uh, can be ordered from lighthousecenterinc.org. I'll put all that in the show notes. It's called Rainbow Food for the Vegan Palate. And just in our last minute here, if you could give a message to Westerners to understand something about your understanding of the soulfulness of all life and what's needed by every citizen of the planet today, what would that be? Okay, I would like to end my thoughts with few lines quoted by Lord Mahavira, uh, 527 BC. He is our inspiration and our teacher. He said that one who ne neglects or disregards the existence of earth, water, fire, air, vegetable, and other all other living beings disregards his own existence, which is entwined with them. So be a whisper or be a scream. Just be a voice for the voiceless being. A loud yeah. voice cannot compete with a clear voice, even if it's a whisper. So we have to be... Ahimsa is not a concept. It is the conviction of the consciousness. And once we are convinced, no one can stop us from doing what is right for us. We have to make the choice. I cannot tell you how much you have inspired me on a variety of levels. I feel that you have spoken directly to my spirit through my ears. And I think that every listener of the live show today and the podcast forever after will have that same experience. It's a true blessing and a real honor. Thank you so very much and all the best to you. Thank you so much, Victoria Moran. Thank you for inviting me and allowing me to share my thoughts. It has been more than a pleasure, believe me. Ah, everybody, 
do you feel like you have just been been to the mountaintop? <laughs> That's how I feel. Stay with us, and we'll be back talking about cats with Becky Robinson of Alley Cat Allies. Stay with us. Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. notice how the funniest things happen when we stop taking ourselves too seriously and step out boldly listen to funniest thing with daryl and ed as these unlikely saints administer a refreshing dose of laughter and love that will inspire you to step out boldly and experience the funniest things join the discussion with daryl and ed live every wednesday at 5 p.m central time on funniest thing only on unity online radio the voice of an awakening world listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I just thought of a phrase that I don't think I've heard in 20 years, but it's what I'm feeling right now, and that is blissed out, although I believe 20 years ago it came with, like, blissed out, man. <laughs> but what a wonderful, wonderful feeling. And now to continue with all the wonderfulness, I am so happy to be able to introduce to you someone that I have known for a really long time that I met back in Kansas City, where we were both living back in the day. We'll tell you something of that story. And she is Becky Robinson, president and founder of Alley Cat Allies, the nation's only advocacy organization dedicated to the protection and humane treatment of cats. After stumbling upon an alley that a colony of tuxedo cats called home, Robinson's life was never the same. She holds a master's in public administration from the University of Missouri, Kansas City, and a BA in social work from Bethany College. She's also a longtime vegan. Welcome, Becky Robinson. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Oh, what a joy to have you. And and you have a big holiday coming up, a big cat day. Tell us about that. Yes. Well, we're going to observe the 15th National Feral Cat Day on the 16th of October. And why are we doing that? Why are we doing that? Well, there's a lot of reasons we're doing that, but primarily, every probably a lot of people now know a feral cat, or often they're referred to as community cats. They live in our alleyways, they live in our neighborhoods, but there was a time when the whole idea that these cats needed care 
and that they needed to be protected and they needed a different kind of care than being brought inside. That was uh, a very unusual idea and it was very foreign. So we started a campaign, a, a call to action uh, 15 years ago. It was National Feral Cat Day was conceived by Allocate Allies, the organization I formed uh, 25 years ago. But on our 10th anniversary, we wanted to raise awareness about feral cats and what they needed because they're not socialized to humans. So if uh, people now know alley cats and they know that there are cats that can live out their lives uh, without being brought into a shelter, they're not ever going to be adopted. They're not socialized to people. They're not lap cats. And so it was our goal to see that this this um, information became something that was widely available, and so we launched National Feral Cat Day, and we asked people who were already involved with cats to participate. We gave them ideas. We give them ideas every year on what kinds of events they can hold. And this year, there's already 700 events, and every state in the United States is participating. That's amazing. Because, you know, when you first started talking about what you wanted to do, it was a little bit like 1985 when Gene Bauer came through Milwaukee where I was living and he had this idea of having a sanctuary for farmed animals. And everybody thought, you're cute, but you're nuts. And yet now we have all these sanctuaries. And when you talked about... The cats will stay feral. They'll stay outside, but we'll get them inoculated. We'll get them spayed and neutered. We'll see that they have food. It was such a revolutionary concept. Was this your original idea? No, it was not. That's a, that is the other thing about this, this concept, this notion that we would let cats live, that we would not. Here in the United States, it's very much different than in other parts of the world, but um, more than 30 years ago, for several decades in other parts of the world, like United Kingdom primarily, is where there was this idea that there were cats like in famous places like Fitzroy Square and uh, um, that they were living in the urban areas and in, in London. And the idea that they just um, could live out their lives but they needed to be neutered was introduced. And so that, that whole program was developed. Trapping and neutering and releasing became known as trap, neuter, release, and that was not really introduced to the United States until the very late 80s, and it was not widely known until we kind of realized there was a handful of us in D.C. As you said, I was already involved with animal protection issues, but it was a very crazy idea here 25 years ago when we started introducing this. We got the materials from the United Kingdom, there was a group there that had produced materials known as UFA, University's Federation for Animal Welfare. They had even had a videotape, and we dubbed the video, and we showed the video, and we reproduced our own materials. We wrote our own materials based on our experiences with cats in Washington, D.C. And so, as you said, Victoria, this is something that was, was simply not known, and it was perceived initially by a lot of the animal protection groups is something that was a little bit counter to what we were all promoting, what we all stood for. But I do want to say that the people in the United Kingdom and Denmark and South Africa, many other parts of the world, and here in the United States, those that were caring for these cats, there were thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of people that were already caring for cats. They were already um, feeding them, but they were also scooping up the little kittens and they were socializing them and finding them homes. But there was no resources other than that. So the cats continued to breed. There were no spay-neuter facilities. So it wasn't that when we introduced Alley Cat Allies and when we brought, we kind of really started promoting Trap Need Return, it wasn't that it was... Um, it wasn't something that was rejected by, by the cat lovers, the animal lovers. In fact, that's actually why we started. We started Alley Cat Allies because we received so many phone calls for help. So that's, 
then we knew that it was something that it wasn't just us that needed this information. It was dozens and hundreds of people that found us before we had even launched our organization. Wow. <laughs> oh, that's, that's really exciting because I knew you then and kind of from the, the outskirts was watching this happen and it's been quite remarkable. And, and the growth that you've had, do you have any sense of how many cats you've saved in all this time? Oh, goodness. How could anyone count? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> counting cats know, is something. Counting cats, yes. That's a, a whole other challenge, isn't it? So, um, well, we, we do know a lot of what we've done. And we, we know actually from the campaigns that we've uh, conducted, um, we have very specific hands-on campaigns that we have mobilized people uh, here in Washington, D.C., and in other parts of Northern Virginia in the D.C. area, as well as Atlantic City, the boardwalk. If, if those who have been to the Atlantic City um, uh, to visit, they may be aware that there are cats that live under the boardwalk, and Alec had always introduced Trap Me to Return there in the year 2000, 15 years ago. And there were, uh, right now, today, after we've introduced the neutering and the vaccinating, we returned the cats. And since that time, there's a 75% decline in the numbers. So there's just over 100 cats. So we know that just from that program alone, we didn't stop helping the cats just on the boardwalk. We actually have helped cats all over Atlantic City and Atlantic County. So we do know that there are thousands of cats in vicinities like that, that tens of thousands here in the Washington, D.C. area where we've introduced our own spay-neuter clinic. We also gave a grant to Washington Humane Society to start a clinic a few years ago. So there are very specific campaigns that we initiated that we have databases of the cats that we've helped. We can count them. But as far as now what's happened nationwide, our goal from the beginning was to promote the protection of cats, that we we wanted to really challenge the status quo. And that the reality is, is that cats that are brought into our nation's shelter facilities, animal control, sheltering, and humane societies, there are thousands of, we think, around 5,000 shelters and facilities. Nobody knows how many because Many of them are not required to be licensed or permitted. But in these shelters, we do know that there's research that shows that when cats are taken there, very few of them are adopted. And in fact, it's, it's not something that the public is aware of, but it's becoming more known that more than the majority of cats that are impounded at our nation's shelters are killed. And we use the word killed because if they're healthy and they can live out their lives, uh, whether they are socialized or not, we don't believe that the term euthanasia applies there. So we don't always use the term euthanasia unless it's legitimately uh, a euthanasia of a very sick um, uh, or injured animal that is beyond any hope of, of treatment or recovery. Mm. So our goal, you know, when you talk about the numbers and What's happened is that our goal from the beginning was that we could see that this, this way of operating in our, our status quo in our country was that if somebody called about cats, they were either offered a trap to bring the cat in, you know, a cage or a, tra- a humane box trap, um, and to drop the cat or cats off. Or and in the cases where there were animal control officers employed, um, they were, they, they were sent out and they set traps and brought cats in. And that's what's been the practice for well over 100 years, for more than a century. And everybody agrees now that it's, it's a failed practice. It's not humane. In fact, it's quite cruel. Um, it certainly is why Alley Cat Allies, as an animal rights group, when I formed the group, I formed it as the core value, the core mission was to protect life, was to, to extend this to a population of animals that was, was being not only mistreated, but was really 
mistreated with our own in good intentions, you mm. know, with our, our taxpayers' dollars. Um, what <clears throat> what you do, I mean, just what you said about Atlantic City and then that 75% reduction in, in the population, because cats have lots of kittens and they can have lots of kittens very frequently. And so the exponential population growth of an unspayed female can can just be hundreds and ultimately thousands of, of cats. So to just stop that cycle and then see that the cats who are living have uh, humane care and food and, and so forth, I, it's such a sensible concept. It's like so many other things in life, Becky. You think, well, why didn't somebody think of that sooner? Well, thank goodness somebody did, and it's so interesting that it came from England where so many of, of the That's animal right. rights and vegetarian uh, ideas started. So I want to ask you a devil's advocate question. In fact, I'll ask you two, and you can address them together or separately. We've got the cat-bird situation. Lots of people love birds and wish that there were no feral cats or no neighbor's cats at all. And then we have the vegan dilemma, and this is more with the domestic cats, but so often vegans are saying, well, gosh, I know cats need to eat meat, but I feel bad buying the meat. What do I do? So could you talk about those two things? Yeah, I, I think that, that when, when there are cats that live in our environment and they have been here ever since we settled this country, but they've, they've lived around humans for thousands of years. And there's more and more research that's being done and conducted and, and published that suggests that there have been, the domestic cat has been around as long beyond before there was ever Egypt. We all think about Egypt and we think about the cat. But there's some now new information to suggest that maybe they've been around us for even longer so they've been around us in this country. They've been around us in all of our, our world. And when, when, we, um, when the whole notion of helping these cats, when we our, – our story is, my story is, is that I went out to dinner July 7th, 1990, and I was just minding my own business to go eat wonderful vegan Ethiopian food. And that's the thing to do here in D.C. if anybody's been here. And – what, occurred, what happened is that I took a shortcut to the restaurant down an alleyway where there were, it turns out, a total of 54 cats and kittens, beautiful, healthy, black and white tuxedo. And we worked with the neighborhood. There were people who were already caring for them. They were taking the kittens out and finding homes for them with their friends and families to the point where their friends and families would not ask them over to dinner because they'd usually bring another kitten to adopt out. And we introduced. It was a very difficult uh, uh, endeavor at that time, 25 years ago, to find a veterinarian. After 40 phone calls, we found a veterinarian that would help us, but we could bring one cat in at a time. So it took us more than 12 months to spay and neuter all the cats and place the kittens after socializing them into homes. But today, Victoria, in that alleyway, and for several years in that original alleyway in Washington, D.C., there are no cats. So this notion of introducing something that's humane, the cats did live out their lives. But no litters of kittens were born after we introduced the spay and neuter. And the neighbors wanted them back. In fact, the neighbors asked us when the last cat died why we were not bringing more cats back to their alleyway because it was a part of their neighborhood, their community. So they live around us. They have lived around us. And they live in this neighborhood in, in the D.C. metropolitan area and all across the country. They are not wildlife. They are domestic animals, but they live with urban wildlife. And they, they live, this is the thing, is that we have to kind of think about how all of us coexist, how different animals and species coexist in the different places that we live, whether it's rural or urban or um, suburban. And we have to think about what our impact is on them not so much what their impact is on us and the rest of the environment, but we have to kind of look in the mirror. As Michael Jackson says, we have to look at the man in the mirror. And even though cats have lived outside, it's not the relationship between cats and birds that's changed. It's the relationship between humans and the environment. 
And if we want to change this, if we want to have an impact and, and make things better, it's, you know, we're kind of like barking up the wrong tree if we think that we're going to say, well, you know, it's this impact that cats have. There are cats in an environment, but removing them killing, means killing them. And taking them out of the environment creates a vacuum effect. There will be more cats because there are millions of cats in this country. And so since we know that shelters have done this, animal control has removed millions upon millions, tens of millions of cats, and has taken them to shelters where they're killed. And it doesn't work. It's a failed, it's failed practice. Totally, totally failed. What is it that Einstein says? You know, it's doing more of the same and expecting a different result is a definition of insanity. So as far as cats and what we need to do for them is very specific. It's one track and what we need to do to protect the environment and wildlife and birds is another. We have to look at our actions. And we did, we actually, you can go to our website, alleycat.org, and you can find a campaign that we have, Save the Birds. And we have very distinct posters and materials and, in fact, a postcard right now that I'm looking at, five actions you can take today to save birds. Oh, that's so wonderful. I think the fact that you are a vegan and an ahimsa person, you really do see the whole picture. So what, what about the cat, the domestic cats and the cat food? Now, I have to admit, and I've admitted this before on the show, my dog does not eat a vegan diet. He gets his vegan food at night, and he gets like a third of a portion of beef food in the morning because without that, he'll just fast and go on a hunger strike. And I know I've had other dogs that were vegan. This one isn't. And none of my cats, I mean, I tried with some when they were kittens to see if they would do the vegan thing. And it just, you know, it just didn't sit right with me. So I know people who have vegan cats, but I know more vegans who have non-vegan cats. So what do you do with that? And what do you tell people when they ask you the question? Well, I, here's, here's where I stand. It's very much like what you said and our organization, you know, this is, this is something that we grapple with, with what our lives are like. And I, I loved your first guest, um, Promota, is that, was that her name? Mm-hmm. Just a beautiful, beautiful talk that she gave. And, and uh, you know, we want to do right by the animals. We want to do right by the planet. And we want to re- do right by our commitment. You know, if we've made a commitment and we have a belief of the way of that we have decided to devote our lives to do no harm, so to speak, is that tread lightly. And this is, this is something that I have not, I have not come to full 100% peace with, but it, the reality is, is that I know that everything else I can have control over every other impact the the number one thing that you can do to to really, really save animals, to really have an impact on the environment and animals' lives is to not eat them. Now, when it comes to obligate carnivores, which cats are, that's a different story. I think that out of all the cats that I know of that are in colonies, that are in homes, yes, people feed them. They are given canned food, no doubt about that. But they're also given a whole lot of other food. There's a lot of people who feed cats that care for them, obviously, after they're spayed and neutered and vaccinated, and they mix the food up with other things like rice and whatnot. There's a lot of grain. So this is, this is something that I think everybody has to face. I think you're right, Victoria, that, that there are some cats people have introduced a vegetarian or vegan diet to, and it's worked. Uh, I have not had luck with that either. I have tried. But there are friends of mine that have cooked for their cats, and they have uh, a a lentil meal once in a while, for example. Yeah. One of my favorite people that I've I've ever heard speak, a beautiful line I'll always remember. You may have been there. It was the factory farming conference that Farm Sanctuary did in, in Virginia a few years ago, and it was David Wolfson, the attorney, and he was talking about the kind of impossible questions people ask, like, what will the cats eat if everybody's vegan? 
And he said so beautifully, we will figure it out. (laughs) And my immediate thought was, you know, modern meadow and the cloned meat and all that. So I, I, I love everything you say, Becky. Now tell me what it's like to be a vegan in the companion animal protection world where I've not run into a whole lot of vegans in my life. Well, I, you know, this is very interesting. You know, I think that um, very early on, before Alicatalize formed, there was an article in the Animals Agenda. And I read it, and I can't remember the exact article. I think it was just, you know, something like there were a lot of different articles about discussing if you've changed your way of eating and you go home for Thanksgiving, what do you do? Or Christmas, and usually there's, you know, quite frankly, a dead bird roasted in the middle of the table. So how do, how do you how do you make this change? How do you do this when you yourself change but not everybody around you? And I wrote in, I wrote just a, a, a very short letter to the editor that I think really fits exactly what how I've conducted our work here and our, our um, outreach here at Alley Cut Allies, which is, you know, my feeling is, is that uh, I have to represent a person and a group of people that really are compassionate and kind. And so whether I'm standing in line in the grocery store, whether it's a Safeway that is obviously not vegetarian, it's not, um, you know, a vegan store or, or at, at all, um, or whether it's in line at a restaurant where maybe there is not fully vegetarian menu, I have to represent someone that others can relate to, that I can't turn them off. And so here at Alley Cat Allies, we want to embrace everybody. We feel like if people are coming to us because they care about a kitten or a cat that they found or a lost dog or whatever it is or shelters or animal protection that care about animals, but there certainly is not um, a vegan commitment. But we have a vegan commitment. So when we hold a function, we have vegan food. And we want people to be introduced to the incredible, wonderful variety of, of delicious delicious, scrumptious vegan dishes out there. And um, I can tell you one thing that I thought that, you know, you should, you'd get a kick out of this, Victoria, is that um, we had a national conference, which is now something else that's happened in the last um, 25 years, is now Ali Cat Allies has a conference specifically about cats, that hundreds of people come to this conference. And we put on, uh, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for like two and a half days and beautiful uh, buffets and receptions and it was all vegan and people ran up to us and there were a couple of them that were quite upset and in fact, I think a couple of them decided not to eat. And the reason why is because there's such incredible faux meat now. There's, um, you know, the Beyond Meat and they thought that it was uh, uh, beef tacos and it wasn't. Oh. And so it was It was really amazing to see the reaction. Most all people that had this food who were not vegans or vegetarians had never had this food before, and they were really, really complimentary of it. So, um, you know, I think that this is, um, this is something I've found that we have to live in this world, and we have, if we're all just going to stay in our little club, it's, I don't think we're going to get anywhere. I don't think that that that's that would be very boring to me. But I think that what we're doing um, by serving um, the food that we do and just promoting what we promote is the life protection of animals, life you know life saving efforts. It should extend itself to everything that we do. We even, by the way, FYI to people out there. Um, I at one time didn't know that there was such a thing as vegan wine and vegan beer. So then I had to research that. So there's some beers and wines that have a product added to them, I guess, at the finish that is, that's, uh, um, you know more about this than I do, probably Victoria. So we actually research what wines we can serve if we have a reception. <laughs> oh, and then you can do the research on that, which is, can be fun if you like wine. Yeah. I can't believe how close we are to the end of our time, but I absolutely do not want to miss talking about your book, your 25th anniversary Alley Cat Allies book. Tell us about that. Well, this is our 25th year. And when we formed, we, you know, of course, like a lot of nonprofits, you never know if you're going to make it past the first year or the first five years. But here we are at 25 years. And 
we, we wanted to commemorate, we wanted to chronicle what had happened because when we started, the idea of helping cats, especially alley cats, was really a bizarre idea. And yet now, Trot made a return, and the idea of, of introducing um, a standard of care for cats in shelters and in our communities is mainstream. So you can read about it in this book. It's called The Evolution of the Cat Revolution by Becky Robinson, uh -huh. celebrating 25 years of saving cats. And we have lots of different chapters. It's 68 pages, but there's lots of different stories in there of the different campaigns that we had. And it's campaigns from the one I told you about, Atlantic City, um, boardwalk and helping the cats there and working with the community and the city um, officials and National Feral Cat Day all the way to the research that we've conducted about cats because we know from one of the surveys we conducted that Americans believe that cats should, they should be allowed to, to live out their lives rather than be taken into a shelter where they're likely killed. Mm -hmm. So um, it was a fun book, took a lot of time, um, lots of <laughs> cute pictures of, of cute cats, of course. Um, and our posters and our materials, and um, we're going to have it available on our website, alleycat.org, if anybody's Wonderful. interested. Oh, that's so great. And we didn't get to tell how we met, but we met when we were practically embryos back in Kansas City at an animal rights organization called Animal Kind. So blessings to Ann Gonerman and all the folks from those early days. We were doing it way back then. And as I think about the fact that my dog's not a vegan, I'm not perfect yet. But you practically are, Becky no, Robinson. No, no, goodness, no. I hope people go to our nationalferalcatday.org site if they want more information on that campaign. Absolutely. And I will put all those in the show notes uh, on the blog page at MainStreetVegan.net. Remember, our first guest as well promoted Chitra Banhu, Rainbow Food for the Vegan Palette. Everybody, thank you for spending this time with us today. God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. notice how the funniest things happen when we stop taking ourselves too seriously and step out boldly? Listen to Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed as these unlikely saints administer a refreshing dose of laughter and love that will inspire you to step out boldly and experience the funniest things. Join the discussion with Daryl and Ed live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Central Time on Funniest Thing, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Spirit of Recovery is the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth. Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., interviews down-to-earth guests who share with you how they keep going and growing in recovery. Spirit of Recovery is the place to get practical tips and join in lively discussions on topics that matter to recovering people. This program welcomes everyone who wants to know more about recovery. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time on Spirit of Recovery, where we talk about what keeps you growing. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Spirit of Recovery is the place where spirituality and recovery meet where we support your spiritual growth. Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., interviews down-to-earth guests who share with you how they keep going and growing in recovery. Spirit of Recovery is the place to get practical tips and join in lively discussions on topics that matter to recovering people. This program welcomes everyone who wants to know more about recovery. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time on Spirit of Recovery 
where we talk about what keeps you growing. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. If you're inspired by the teachings of Dr. Wayne Dyer, you will love the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast with Nadia Dela Cruz. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. My name is Nadia Dela Cruz, and I started the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast to explore spiritual topics like manifestation and meditation with guests who share their own stories of insight, awakening, and transformation. Listen now on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.